Oh, hello. Hello. Oh, that was that was really. And that wasn't even me being. That wasn't me. That's being my, my fault. I had you on Max. You know. I can only blame. I my, just want. I want everyone to I can only blame hear myself for that, folks. That I, it's Adam's fault. I had her on. I was fixing the levels of the of the sound box. I fixed my level. I didn't fix yours, and it was loud, and it was my fault. In any case. Welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. Tammany Hall, but for the ghosts. But for the ghosts. Because I'm feeling good. I mean, I know it's boiling hot. It is. It's disgusting. I know it's gross in July. Yeah. But it's episode 99. That's kind of crazy. We've turned out 99 of these suckers. That's insane. And and people are still listening. (laughs) And more people are listening. I looked at our analytics for season three. It's like we're at a better place than we started in season two. That's crazy. So thanks for joining us on the journey, you guys. Yeah. No idea why, but no, definitely not. But here you are. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm fixing my. Everything's so hot today. The weather's hot. The I was mics say are hot. The weather, the levels. Um, but so excited. The I'm, stories. The stories are hot. Um, yeah, we we're doing it, and and you are a part of it. I can't believe you're still here. Um, today's a very old school episode 99 because I'm going to be eating and drinking on the air. Yes! <laughs> I was listening. I, I, what did I go back to recently? I went back to something recently and um, and it was us eating apples. <laughs> Dude, literally, um, literally someone who just started listening to the show was just talking about early episodes with me. And first and foremost, the amount that I have forgotten about season one <laughs> is outlandish. They're like, oh my God, Dan, what are you doing? I'm like, who the fuck is Dan? <laughs> and they're on season, they're on like episode two with Linda Cortiel. Right. Um, and I was like, oh yeah. Him. <laughs> Dan from episode two, Linda Cortiel. So, um, but in any case, yeah, I realized when I, so I've gone back to listen to some of our early episodes just mm-hmm. to kind of like reacclimate myself with them because when people like ask me about episodes, it's good to know them. Right. Uh, and I'm like, man, I used to, we used to eat crackers, Cra- social teas, social teas. Not a sponsor, but could be, could be, could be. We know you're listening. To social Official teas. Zach of the New York Mystery Machine. And today I'm eating some fresh. Um, Blueberries. blueberries which don't have a satisfying crunch for the listener <laughs> for me to edit out later that's yeah. what i used to do you did your, you did your best you did your damnedest <laughs> like like for you to edit out I mean, you, you didn't but you, you sure tried <laughs> you guys my headphones are breaking they're breaking hard they're breaking so hard so if you want to help us get me new headphones because Lord knows I need them. I can't hear out of the right ear sometimes. Mm. I literally, I was on the plane ride back from Illinois on um, Sunday, and I was a person, if you were on my Delta flight, <laughs> I was a person repeatedly hitting their ear <laughs> so it, it would kick back in. That was me. That was me. Um, well, you guys... If you want to help me get some new headphones, you know what to do. You head on over to our new and reorganized mm. for your pleasure um, Patreon. Uh, that's patreon.com slash NY Mystery Machine. And once you're there, you can sign up for as little as $3 or um, as little as $5 in order to get you know a bonus episode. We restructured our Patreon to make it more um, accessible, to make the... the to make all of the stuff, stuff, you know, <laughs> worth it. Uh-huh. And so I figured it'd be a good moment now to just kind of tell you a little about the reorganization of it. And if you want to join up, join our Patreon, you know, you what you get that. out of it. So if you want to join our Patreon, um, here are the new levels. If you join 
for $3 a month, which is our Hudson Valley horror level, you get our patron shout out, which I'll, you know, on the air, I'll be like, thanks for joining us. Thanks for being our patron. You guys know. And then each month, I'm going to be dropping a strange bit of New York trivia mm. uh, on our Patreon uh, website, on the on the app and the website. A little fun thing, easy peasy, right? Um, if you up it to $5, which is our Long Island Leech level, Lich. Lich. A Long Island Lich. If you play D&D, you would know this. But... I don't play well. it. Well... Um, I don't mock anyone. I just don't do it. You I should. just don't do it. I think you would like it. Everyone says that. Uh, if you join our Long Island Lich level for $5, you get our patron shout out. You get the uh, trivia. You get the official sticker. And then you get a patron exclusive episode every month. Nice. There's one out for July. One's coming out in August. If you join our $10 level, which is the five borough Baba Yaga. <laughs> um, I do love that. Which in theory should have been our second level because five's in it, but you know what it well, is. Hmm. Uh, you get the patron shout out, the New York trivia, the exclusive, the sticker, and you get exclusive voting power. We've moved that down so that more people can be involved with that. So nice. each month, starting in August, I'm going to be putting out a poll for about three or four options of episodes that we'd like to cover, um, that we've been thinking about covering, and the patrons are going to choose which of those episodes we actually do cover. Um, then for $15 a month, you get the Broadway Boogeyman level. You get a patron shout out. You get the uh, uh, trivia. You get the exclusive episode, the sticker, the voting power. And you'll get a live video greeting from me and Christina while we're recording an episode. Oh, man. Um, and if it's a day like today, you get to see us in our full oh, listening, it's, it's be today. sweaty glory. It's going to be our next episode. So get, get, get ready. So you get one of those. Just a nice little, a nice little treaty treat from us. Uh, if you join our $25 a month level, Tammany Hall Horror, Tammany Hall Terror, you get all those things, and then you get the limited edition New York Mystery Machine swag. Mm -hmm. So what that means is uh, during Pride, we made those cool Pride stickers. We're going to do stuff more like that. you know. So we're going to have uh, another Pride sticker next year. We'll probably do uh, another just random swag or collectible during the year, something really cool and small that we'll only order a small batch of, and our patrons exclusive. will get that. Our exclusive, exclusive stuff. Um, and um, then for our Empire State Spirit, our $50 level, we changed this a little bit. This used to be us making sandwiches and delivering. It We have one patron who does that. It proves very hard to do it for one person. Yeah. So instead of actually making a sandwich, we're going to give you all the things we got, and then I'm going to, cult, to create a recipe for a sandwich, and you're going to get that sandwich recipe, and you can choose what to do with it. Yeah, you can call your, your local deli yeah. and have them make it. You can give make it, it yourself. Friend. Give it to a friend. But you'll get one every month with a different theme starting. Um, that will pick up in August as well. So there you go. Join our Patreon today. A lot of cool stuff. We're looking to, as we're now in season three, we're looking to fix our equipment. Clearly, headphones are dead. We'd love for you to join our Patreon and get on there. Get on there. Yeah. I'm going to, talking about product placement, I'm going to steal some of these Trader Joe's. Those aren't Trader Joe's. Oh. These are from the local farm share. Oh, yeah. Friend of the show, Natalie, uh, gave me her gave me a, ch a, a bunch of her. Uh... Is there a farm share around here? Oh, I don't know. You guess Natalie. Natalie. <laughs> I think it's like some North Side Brooklyn thing. Love it. But Very yeah, tasty. she got oh, like a, an immense amount of blueberries. You said no to blueberries initially. I know, but then they were here. I know. So yeah, those are all the things. In addition. If you don't want to spend your money on us, another way to help you know the show is to just head on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, uh, 
wherever you listen and just give us a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts. You can also leave us uh, a review with words. We love that. Drop us a five-star review. Tell us what you like about the show. Um, if you're not someone who already is a patron, we will uh, send you a sticker to, for doing that. We'll read it on the air. We thank you publicly, and we'll send you a sticker. So yeah. please, uh, please give us a review. If you're on Spotify, throw, throw us five stars on Spotify, Audible, all that jazz. And don't forget, we've got t-shirts. Go buy yourself a t-shirt. Put look on a t-shirt. At, look at you, Christine. I know. And there's a new t-shirt. I mentioned mm-hmm. it last week. There's the, um, it, it's worth noting. It's, it's worth noting t-shirt, which we love. Someone bought a t-shirt. Or, this week, someone some, someone bought a I t-shirt. Who I don't know. Every time someone buys <laughs> something, either a sticker or a t-shirt, or they sign up for the Patreon, <laughs> I always take a screenshot and send it to Christine. I'm like, oh, do you know this person? And she's like, no. Which is crazy. It's nice when we don't know you. <laughs> but now we feel like you know you. All right, I guess we should get on into today's episode. Who needs episodes? I think we do. I don't know. What are we doing, Adam? Today we're covering our first disappearance of season three. Ooh. I know. Uh, Our our missing person was actually a well-known figure in the world of New York journalism back in the 60s. Ooh. And today we are going to be covering um, the search for John Eric Lake. Ooh. I'm I'm sorry. I'm Ooh. really woo! I'm excited because I keep putting this on on my list of like mental like this would be fun to cover. So I'm really excited because I know nothing about it other than he went missing. Yeah. So John Lake was born February 18th, 1930 in Albany, New York. He graduated in 1951 with a BA degree in journalism from Syracuse University. Uh, and it was at Syracuse where he met his wife Alice Conlin. The two married in 1952 while Lake was serving in the U.S. Navy in Honolulu, Hawaii. He returned to graduate school at Syracuse after he was discharged from the Navy, and the couple had a daughter and a son. The Binghamton News Press would then hire both John and his wife, and he worked in sports while she wrote features. In 1959, John became a staff writer at the New York Herald Tribune. In February of 1964, he moved to Newsweek to become its sports editor. In his last year at the magazine, Lake authored three cover stories, a total of nine in four years, which is pretty amazing, on varied topics such as the Black Athlete, the Indy 500, and the World Series. The Black Athlete, in quotes, that's the name of the the, uh, article that he wrote for that cover story. Lake was hired as a ghostwriter for the Bob Gibson autobiography and had all but submitted the work. Um, Lake's last issue for Newsweek was the December 11th, 1967 issue with a cover featuring a dark-haired, uh, bespectacled Robert McNamara. And the cover story asked, quote, why is he leaving? Mm. Which is pretty ironic being the fact that we're all wondering, where did he go? Where did he go? So what happened to John? Well, he was last seen in Midtown Manhattan on December 10th, 1967. At the time, he was walking towards the subway to go home. A missing persons report was filed by his wife, Alice, Mm -hmm. four days later. His disappearance was investigated by the Pinkerton Detective Agency, which was hired by Newsweek. But how about we get a more personal look into the case? Okay. In November 2015, John's son, Eric, put together a website based upon his missing father. Uh, johnlake.com and that is uh, the site where he speaks on the book that he's writing all about his father's disappearance. Uh, This appears on the homepage of the website. Quote, My father, 
John Lake, disappeared the evening of December 10th, 1967. He had dinner with a woman in Midtown Manhattan, took her home in a cab, which then he dismissed. He walked down the street toward the subway, and he was never seen again. I was five years old. I was 40 years old when I cleaned out the attic of my family's home and began to learn some of the details surrounding his disappearance and a great deal about him. A musty box in the attic served as an appropriate emotional metaphor for me. I opened it and dusted off what I knew and how I felt. In the process, I learned a lot about both of us. The source of all that I had known as a young child about my father, apart from my own random memories as a five-year-old, was my mother. Your father worked in New York City. He was a sports editor for a big magazine. He was an important guy. He met Joe Namath, Cassius Clay, and Willie Mays. He'd gotten a ride in a race car. He wrote a book about Jim Ryun, uh, the track star, which he'd mentioned me in the forward. Hmm. My father was an almost mythical figure to me, but unlike the aforementioned sports legends, most of my father's clothes remained in our house in New Jersey, which allowed me the opportunity to spend time in his closet, breathing in his smell, trying to remember him, to pull him back to me through some uh, olfactory voodoo I knew wouldn't work. He was gone. After a while, it seemed uh, like he'd always been gone, and that I'd always feel sad about it. His absence left me feeling exposed and different. I don't remember being told he disappeared. I remember wishing he'd come home. That last line made me so sad for so many reasons because I always tell people, I don't remember when people told me my dad died. Mm -hmm. My dad passed away when I was eight years old. And I don't remember when someone told me it happened. Mm -hmm. I assume my mom did. Right. And I assumed it was the day it happened. Mm -hmm. But I just don't remember it. And so I felt such a kinship with Eric Mm -hmm. in that moment because I don't remember this pivotal moment that we both had in our lives. It was just really fascinating. Sorry, you guys. I got a little yeah. emotional. That, I was going to say, it's a beautiful way of putting it. Yeah. That appears on the on the, on the the forward of of uh, that website. And um, we'll hear a bit more from Eric in a bit. Now, this case is odd because there's just not a whole lot of information readily available. Mm-hmm. I think we've come across a lot of this in our missing persons cases, yeah. right? And sometimes it deters us from covering cases. In the last couple of years, I think we found that when we're investigating some missing people's cases, there's either a ton of information, <laughs> you're just like, so much information, you're like yeah. scan, scan, scanning, so much information, or there's like next nothing. to nothing. Yeah. And this and this case, uh, sadly, falls in that latter category. Mm. Um, as, in fact, I almost didn't cover this episode because it was so hard to get any information on it. Yeah. Um, it's when I came across Eric's website that kind of motivated me to, to keep going mm-hmm. because there was something really important to be to be told. Right. Um, So I pushed on, kept diving, tried to unveil as much as I can. So John went missing in 1967, and no major news outlets covered the story, Hmm. including I was going to say, even Newsweek? Newsweek. I did a comprehensive search uh, of every single newspaper using the newspaper database that Christina and I use. Uh, Everything from December 1967 to February 1968, which seems like the appropriate amount of time to talk about something they haven't found. And it yielded no results. Weird. No papers. No local papers. No Newsweek. Which is odd. He's a journalist. He's not being mentioned by anyone. Um, It's just kind of a crazy thing. 
In 2005, the New York Times finally decided to cover the story. The article, written by Dan Barry, was titled, quote, The Father Who Never Came Home. This is from the New York Times. This massive city has a fourth dimension, a yawning black hole into which you can willfully dive or accidentally trip. The chance to slip into nothingness is the beauty of New York and its horror, as when searchers vested in the vanished are left to divine answers from stone silent pavement and lapping river waters. Once in this city, a young man named John Lake knew success in the competitive profession of sports journalism, first as a reporter at the New York Herald Tribune and then as a news editor at Newsweek. Among those who chronicled sports for a living, he was a name. But life is more than a living. Toward the close of 1967, he had many troubles. Drinking troubles. Marriage troubles. He moved out of the family home in New Jersey, moved into a studio apartment in Greenwich Village, and continued to meet his deadlines, which in journalism often matters more than anything else. On Sunday evening in early December, he dined at a French restaurant in Midtown with an acquaintance, a nurse named Sandra. He drank a lot that night. She later told private detectives... He was maudlin, she said. They shared her cab to her apartment on East 54th Street. He asked if he can come up. She said no because she had to work. She suggested that he take the waiting cab. No, he said. He'd rather take the subway. She turned her door, not watching to see which way he went, not knowing that she'd be the last person to see him. In that age before cell phones and email, an age now unfathomable, people were not in constant communication. All the more so for a man not shackled to his office desk, a man newly separated from his wife. Four days passed before a missing person report was filled with the police. John Lake, 37, six feet tall, 180 pounds, wore black rimmed sunglasses. But this is New York, city of the missing and the missed. Many disappear here, most reappear, and some do not. Mr. Barry. Yeah. That's some damn good fucking that's some, writing. That's right some there. good writing right there. Jesus. That last line uh-huh. that this is New York, the city of the missing and missed. Oh. That's some damn good journalism right there. I have a question that I think I've answered now in my brain. Tell me. But no one's explicitly saying it. This acquaintance, is this like <clears throat> an acquaintance and a friend or is this wink, wink, 1960, whatever? We'll talk more about it. Okay. Yeah. We're going to talk more about Sandra. We're going to talk about a few about the ladies in John's, uh, in John's life. Let's dive into the details of what we know from the case. John Lake was a sports editor at Newsweek magazine. We know this. He and the family lived in New Jersey. We know this. He worked in New York City. We know this. We know that. At the time of his appearance, he and Alice had been separated and living apart for two years. Okay. Eric mentioned uh, in his website that there had been two brief failed reconciliations between John and Alice during that time in the course of those two years. Eric wrote that John would often stay with a girlfriend Jean, who was his boss's secretary and who lived in Greenwich Village, or with other friends. He traveled quite a bit for his job. He's a sports editor. Right. He goes where the teams are going. Um, chances are he's traveling a lot with the New York-based teams in mm-hmm. all different sports. Eric also mentioned that John always managed his professional affairs well and mm-hmm. even wrote a book during the time and won a couple of awards for his work. Hmm. He was well-regarded by everyone at Newsweek. Well-regarded at Newsweek but they don't write an article. Really interesting. It just confuses me. It's just odd. I mean, something's off. Yeah. You know, 
I don't know how much missing persons cases Newsweek covers. I don't mm-hmm. read Newsweek really. Same. But he's one of yours. Yeah. I don't know. Like if we've missed it somehow and someone out there has a Newsweek archive. We didn't miss it. Okay. I mean, I mean, the newspaper archive doesn't say anything. Yeah. And also, furthermore, Eric will will later write in, in on his website oh. that no outlets covered it at all. Good lord. So What the hell, Newsweek? Yeah. And everybody else, but especially your own. Yeah, I mean, I just think that like an like, acknowledgement of some kind, like a. Like I a, just think like if someone in one of our lives was missing, I know there's a silly little podcast, but we have oh, a, yeah, well, we have a decent amount of listeners on the show. We would talk about it on the show. Oh, we would yeah. announce, hey, someone's missing. If you've yeah. seen this person, we're posting on our social media. Yeah, we're spreading them. It just and there's a small little podcast, yeah. and we would do it. Newsweek is Newsweek. Yeah, it's just really confusing. That's bizarre. I don't really understand it. Hot take. Someone in Newsweek did it. Go on. (laughs) Now, Eric wrote on his site that three weeks prior to his disappearance, John suddenly agreed to a divorce. And this was something he had been resisting prior to that. He also had rented a studio apartment in Greenwich Village. Eric said that John wrote and called friends, indicating that he would have to do a lot of uh, freelance work to keep up with bills. Something, another something that's odd, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you're having money issues. And you agree finally to get a divorce, mm-hmm. which you know is going to cause you some more money issues because divorce mm-hmm. isn't free mm-hmm. unless it's the most civil divorce in the world and everyone's cool. We can all just sign that paper right. and call it a day. But if there's any sort of divorce like proceedings that need to be done. Mm-hmm. If things need to be ironed out, you're probably going to need right. an attorney to help you with that. So that's also another odd thing. Maybe he just wanted to give his wife his, yeah. her freedom and let Alice just live her life while he lived his life. Who knows? Eric described the last person to see John Lake alive. His date on that faithful evening, he called her a friend of a friend. Mm -hmm. The weather was apparently pretty gray that evening with rain starting and stopping, um, you know, on and off the entire evening. And the temperature was in the 30s. A shitty December night. Yep. Couldn't say familiar with that kind of evening. Thank you. He would drop Sandra off the apartment. We know that he dismissed the cab after she was like to take the cab back and he'd walk away. We know he had several drinks at dinner. Mm-hmm. Um, this information came from uh, Sandra. Mm-hmm. Now, although he was last seen the evening of December 10th, the missing persons report wasn't filled until the 14th. Mm-hmm. According to Eric, the NYPD didn't do much in terms of a thorough investigation. Uh, Newsweek, for its part, did hire their own private investigation company. As I said before, Pinkerton Detective Agency was hired to help with the case, but they also came up short. Both Pinkerton and NYPD interviewed Sandra as well as Alice, but both seemed to both sources seemed to not come up with any solid leads. There was no trace. Right. No one else saw him. There was no phone records. Nothing. He just, he just up and vanished. Um, and huh. it, yeah, it's in just, Midtown. In Midtown, you know. Um, Which, on the one hand, very easy to get lost in the shuffle in Midtown, and on the other hand. Hard to just vanish in Midtown. Yeah, I mean it's it's evening, you yeah. know. It is late at night. I mean, it's probably around eleven-ish. I think we said so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the whole case just we've done a lot of missing persons cases, and this one has just literally no leads. Yeah, it's very dry. Yeah, yeah. There doesn't see yeah. Not like there's even like a 
unless it's coming up, like some sort of scandal he's involved in. Not really. Like some, you know, some sort of dark motive someone might have. Not really. We're going to take a break, and when we get back, Eric is going to really fill out the last week uh, in John's life a bit more. We're going to do our best to think about where this guy went. Um, so y'all should start coming up with your theories. Christina's going to come up with her theories, and we're going to come back to it in a few minutes. So we will be right back. The New York Mystery Machine is brought to you in part by listeners like you. That's right. Head on over to our Patreon, and for as little as $3 a month, you can help keep the pod growing. By joining, you can access a whole bunch of cool stuff, such as mini-episodes, swag, exclusive playlists, and more. Head to www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine to find out more and become a patron. That's www.patreon.com slash nymysterymachine and join our ever-growing community today. All right, we're back, and we're on the search for John Lake, who went missing December 10th, 1967. His son, Eric, had has been gathering all the information he can about his father's case. The NYPD and the private agency came up short at the time of John's disappearance. Eric said that John had finished the sports section for the coming week's issue of Newsweek on Saturday, December 9th, the day before he disappeared. Also that day, he had an appointment to meet with the PR rep for the Kansas City Chiefs, who were in town to play the Jets mm -hmm. that same night. Also to attend that meeting was Pete Axtelm, a, a sports writer from Sports Illustrated, who six months later was given John Lake's job as a sports editor of Newsweek. Quick question um, yeah. for those of us who do not follow the sport ball. Uh, what, what, what type of sport is this? The, the Jets again? The Jets are who? Football. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but again, he covers all sports. I mean, mm -hmm. this is just he happened to be covering right, no, yeah. the Kansas City Chiefs versus New York Jets that, that evening. Right. Now, John never showed up for that appointment on Saturday the, with the PR rep. Right. And this was extremely out of character for John because he was known to be scrupulously professional mm -hmm. and serious about his job. Again, well-liked at Newsweek. Right. People talk highly about him. He's an award-winning journalist. He's very reputable. He never misses things. Right. But he misses this appointment. Mm -hmm. The next day, Sunday, he goes missing. He apparently called a few people to get together, but no one could. Jean, his boss's secretary, who he was seeing and who had been away that weekend, told Eric she found a list of people, mostly women, who worked as researchers at Newsweek in his handwriting. So a small list of all these women mm -hmm. um, that, you know, John had been in contact with who are researchers. Um, she finds this list. A friend of Jean told uh, a friend of Jean's told him he called her husband to see if he'd want to go to the Giants game. But apparently the Giants were also in town that weekend. Um, it's before the Giants and the Jets were playing simultaneously in the same stadium, I, okay. I assume, there. Um, so, sorry. John called Jean's husband. A friend of Jean's friend told, of Jean. told Eric that John called her husband, to see if he liked to go to a football game, not the Jets game that he's supposed to be covering. Okay. The night before. Right. Um, 
The husband had already had a berry left for something else. So Lake said, quote, can I come over and talk to you for a while? She declined because she was busy. Apparently, he then settled for Sandra. <laughs> Eric says that there was no publicity about his father's disappearance. He is absolutely right. It is nearly impossible to come up with any additional information. He vanished quietly. Eric said that John's family members and coworkers mostly waited to see if he would turn up. But soon, rumors would start spreading around the newsroom at Newsweek. Many believed that he simply walked away to a new life. Perhaps the, the pressures of deadline journalism caught to him. Mm-hmm. Seven years later, he was declared legally dead by the state of New Jersey. Christina, what are your thoughts? What do you got? What are you thinking? So my first thought, as I said earlier, was hot take. Someone in Newsweek did it. I don't know who. No idea why. So I thought about Newsweek for a while. Axthelm. I thought about Newsweek for a while, right? But then my thought was, they hired a private investigator. True. And a good one. Pinkerton. Is it a good one? I mean... Not to spoil anything, but it's going to be featured in an upcoming episode. Really? Well, at least name dropped in an upcoming episode. There you have it, kid. There you have it. That, that, you know, that call that in the biz, foreshadowing. Well. Um, if you want to know what foreshadowing is, <laughs> I'll tell you about it later. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So, true. They hired a good detective agency. Axthelm got his job. I don't know, not to cast aspersions, but I'm gonna. I don't know, professional rival. What's weird is that he, the the missing the meeting thing seems significant, and conscious. It seems like he conscious consciously, or intentionally misses this meeting, right? Because he's asking around. Well, no, he's asking people to hang out on Sunday. <gasps> okay, so the night before he misses the meeting, Sunday he yeah. wants to hang out. He does all his work for Saturday. On Saturday, he finishes his 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 his, right. his article at the deadline. And clearly never calls anyone to say why he missed this meeting. No, no one knows. So it wasn't like, hey, I can't make it I'm not feeling well. Or, hey, I'm so sorry, my alarm didn't go off and I overslept. Yeah, there is no, no one knows to this day why he misses that meeting. Mm-hmm. And then there was a list. So the list of names of the female researchers, the implication there we assume is that these are people he's calling to hang out or this is just a part of his notes. I don't know. Either, either one, we're not really so clear, right? Like, you know, they're just looking through all of his old stuff and they come across this list. Mm -hmm. So it's not really sure, you know, what it could be. I think it's really interesting to see that he's calling people to hang out with them. Mm -hmm. Like he's, he's making a priority to, to be with someone, mm-hmm. which, you know, that, you know, if in a little bit, we're going to talk more about some theories that people in, uh, in, in on the web were talking mm-hmm. about. But something that really struck me, too, that idea of, you know, a lot of people um, who are contemplating harming themselves, mm-hmm. taking their own lives. It's a very known thing what people do. People get phone calls, be yeah. like, hey, can we hang out? Hey, just some sort of reaching out for help. Mm-hmm. Right. At the same time, it, we can flip that on its head and, and just him trying to see as many people as he can before he leaves forever. Mm-hmm. I don't know the point of him starting a new life. Right. Nor I. Um, you do a great job. I mean, look, apparently, I didn't know this, but like doing some research on it, like especially during that time in the 60s, deadline journalism is a really hard career. Right. 
takes a lot of toll on a person. You know, you your deadline. I mean, especially if you're working on a, a, a weekly paper or a daily mm-hmm. paper, those deadlines are huge. Yeah, you are married to your job, and it's the age before the internet. It's not. It's not. It's harder to do your job right before the internet exists. My hot take. I'm gonna go with. I'm sticking with it's someone in the industry that has somehow done something. And it's somehow related to this list of researching women. And I don't know how. Maybe I I would love to know what stories they were researching. I'd love to know if they were all from Newsweek or from various places. There's various sources. Not necessarily all from Newsweek, but there are various sources in terms of all the outlets. I don't know. That could be interesting. That's something he's encountering uncovering some dark underbelly um yeah but it's it's very bizarre yeah it's just i agree it's a very bizarre thing eric said that as he began his research decades after his dad went missing he contacted the nypd missing persons department repeatedly in an attempt to understand what had taken place in their investigation right he also wanted to have a better understanding of what are the standard procedures for a case like his yeah. dad. He was just met with a lot of uh, resistance. He was mostly ignored, greeted with astonished ignorance. Um, because here's the thing. I, I think so often, a lot of times in the show, a lot of the missing persons that we talk about prior to really the 1990s are really mishandled poorly. Mm -hmm. A lot of people who go missing in New York City in particular, the NYPD does a really shitty job at covering. Mm -hmm. If you if you're someone who's listened to our show um through throughout the course of the ninety eight other episodes, we've covered a lot of missing people. And so often either Christina's leading and I'm leading it and the other person's saying, why is NYPD bumbling this? Why is it why are they bumbling? And a lot of time it's the NYPD that are bumbling it. Not necessarily police departments from upstate or course they be specifically the NYPD. And why does the investigation yield absolutely Nothing. no results? Yeah. Why is there not a single result on this? It's interesting that even the son is getting stonewalled by the police, though, like in terms of getting information released or, or whatever. Yeah. We must be filing Freedom of Information Act things and like, why aren't they given it? He finally reached a sympathetic detective who was part of the uh, missing persons unit who decided to reopen the investigation. Oh, that's good. And he opened his eyes to the realities of how missing and unidentified people are handled by the various agencies in both New York City, New York State, and the country as, a, mm-hmm. as a, at large. Over time, that detective revisited decades-old ill-kept city records and began to compare photographs of John Lake, accomplished sports journalist, with those of nameless corpses. Because mm. you know as well... For every missing person we find in New York City, we also find a John Doe or Jane Doe in the city. Just a a corpse with no identification. We've covered a lot of those as well on the show. And especially if this is pre a certain year, right, then you also don't have a database of DNA necessarily with the backlog of things you can test. Yeah, you know, with with these corpses and these bodies, like, that also becomes another thing. We can't test them for, for anything. Yeah. Eric is now about 61 years old and his father and he's the father of two children. At the time of the New York Times article in 2005, he was living in Falmouth, Maine, where he was making his living by selling executive jets. Years into his search for what happened to his father, there was one single photograph forwarded to him by that friendly detective that he had connected with. The photo is of an unidentified man in New York City taken February of 1968. 
presumably before the corpse was shipped to a potter's field on Hart Island. Mm. The left side of the man's face bears some disfiguring trauma, and the nose doesn't look quite right. Mm. Then again, the hairline is the same, same eyebrows as well, Mm -hmm. so there might be something there. That search led me to the internet to see if anyone else was talking about it. If news outlets aren't talking about it, maybe someone else in the world is. And as we find out, I found out over the last couple of months on this show, which is something new for me, sometimes you find interesting things on Reddit. Yep. <laughs> so I got to Reddit, and some people posted some stuff. Uh, one person wrote, quote, Depending on where the women's apartment was on East 54th Street, he was anywhere from a two-minute to an hour-long walk from the East River. Yeah. Close enough for a half-drunk person to stumble down into the water, maybe feeling a bit sad about getting rejected or and or almost cheating on his girlfriend, if that's what he was planning to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, we don't really know the relationship between him and Sandy right. um, at that time, so, you know, so who really knows? Or maybe just a bit drunker than he seemed, mm-hmm. right? Not much to suggest suicide, but falling into the river seems like a good possibility and mm-hmm. one that the police should have even considered yeah. in their search right, right. theory and then what pisses me off not to jump away from this guy's quote i'll finish it in a second because this also kind of frustrates me because they're also not giving any possibilities mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. these families this family is left with absolutely nothing yep. all these years later yeah you know this son eric is doing all the work that the police just didn't do right with finding possibilities and now, like, people, like, assholes like us on a podcast <laughs> are finding out, like, on the internet from other people what could possibly happen to this person, right? Right, right. Um, so as this, this Reddit person, Redditor, Redditor says, <laughs> uh, not so much to suggest suicide, but falling into the river seems like a good possibility, especially since the man in the photo his son saw seemed to have facial injuries, mm. which are usually typical for drownings mm. and such. Okay. Now, someone replied to that and said, uh, quote, possibly supporting suicide is a fact that Lake had made quite an effort to find someone to be with the day he disappeared. It sounds as if the woman he ended up with was actually someone he barely knew, sort of a last resort. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another reply says, it's always a shame when relatives, especially first degree relatives, are unlikely to ever have closure. As likely as it is that John Doe is John Lake, that corpse they found uh, and sent the photo of Eric will never be able to know for sure that that's the uncertainty that will likely haunt him. If we only had the foresight back then to store a bit of tissue for future technology to test, you know, perhaps there'd yeah. be a solution there. Um, Makes you wonder if, and I'm sure this would be on Eric's dime. So I have no idea how expensive it would be. Like, can you exhume that individual? And cause they, they do track, yeah. I believe they track on hard, uh, uh, you know, where... I'm about to... I'm about to All right, I'm, about to I'm ready. The city buries the Hart Island bodies three layers deep in wooden coffins. Disinterment is possible only for a relatively short number of years after burial. Beyond that point, the remains are more or less mixed together or irrecoverable. Mm. I was okay. ready for... I was so ready for you. Because okay. I, I thought... I looked, I'm like, well, maybe... Right. you can exhume. Find this person. Okay. But because it's that same world as Potter's Field that we used to have Potter's Fields. Yeah. When, like... They're unknown. We put them. People are still getting buried, I think, at Hearts Island. I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But like just in, in terms of like the idea of the graves are, are just barely solo graves. They're mm-hmm. very close together. Yeah. We're just kind of dumping bodies because we're finding a lot of people. Yeah. The missing and the missed, right? right. As, as it was so beautifully written in that, tragically right. beautifully written in that article, The Missing and the Mist. Um, 
And so Eric seems to be still working on his book. I, I All the stuff I read from that website was in 2015. I looked, there's no book yet. Um, and his updates on his website, once again, that website is johnlake.com. Um, Eric uh, gives photographs of his father as reference points. He also talks about the book that he's writing. He writes uh, of the book, Quote, when I began researching my father's life and disappearance in earnest, my first interviews were with folks who had worked for Newsweek during the same period, the mid to late 1960s. Many of the people I contacted were very helpful and referred me to others whom they thought might be might have valuable insights. Mm. I've quickly filled a few legal pads with notes and spurred by the frequent question. So are you going to write a book about this? <laughs> I decided that I would. Although I have written professionally in the past, I was surprised to find the research much easier than the writing. I was driven to find people and facts and enjoy the task, no longer feeling that it was overwhelming, but the writing was tough. Over a few months, I managed a couple of hundred pages, mostly biographical, as well as publishing proposals and narrative synopsis, which described the arc of the story and was used to find a literary agent. A reporter from the Daily News referred me to the New York agent who, to my delight, agreed to represent me. It seemed easy, but I was learning that most people found the story of my dad and my quest to learn about him very compelling. Unfortunately, after rejections from five publishers, the agent decided to press further, not to press further and let no. me go. I was disappointed because the feedback from the publishers was positive regarding my writing and the subject material, but cited either market concerns or the fact that my father's disappearance remained unsolved. It would be nice if the story was resolved, one wrote. Well, fuck you. Yeah, really? Gosh. Yeah, it would totally be nice. That'd be great. That's what the book is for. Gosh. Well, yeah, he writes. But as I've learned since, resolution is in the eye of the beholder. I consulted with three professional writers who reviewed my manuscript. Their feedback was what I needed to focus more on the disappearance and less of the early days of my father's life and include my I needed to include my observations about my journey as John Lake's son. I needed to do major rewrite. But I also needed to make some money so i went back to work after a year of immersion in the product project in retrospect i also needed a break from the emotional weight of the task in the years since i've made intermittent progress such as getting a column in the new york times written by dan barry uh, as we mentioned earlier in the pro in, in the episode having my father's case assigned to the ncic the national crime information center hmm. number and submitting the dna sample to be included in the fbi's database CODIS, and more recently, embarking on the needed rewrite. With the support of some influential friends and the help with both reshaping and remarketing the story, I'm confident I'll have some exciting news in the upcoming months. Stay tuned. I appreciate your interest in John Link's story, which for me has become a deeply personal project. Hmm. Um, that was from when? When was that update? 2015. Hmm. Um, so, oh, it's a while ago, about eight years ago. Um, there's also a guest book. Um, you can email John Lake as well. Do we want him to have an interview? Yeah, we can email John. What do you want to interview with? We're going to email Eric Lakes. He wants to come on the show. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. We'll do that today. Okay. Stay tuned, listener. Um, and also some researches, not just for John Lake, but also other missing people. It's a really great resource list on oh, the wow. website, places you can go. Cold Case Center, the Charlie Project, which we use a mm -hmm. bunch of New York City missing persons and, and whatnot. And there you have it, wow. folks. Um, a really fascinating, yeah, a really fascinating story. A son just trying to get some closure and yeah. figure out what happened to his dad. That's really sad. So, if you have any information, you know what to do. You get onto johnlake.com and you reach out to Eric. Yep. If you have any theories, you know what to do. You head on over to us. You uh, go to our Instagram. You shoot us the DM. Our Instagram's at an Mystery Machine. 
Our Facebook is also available at NY Mystery Machine. Our Twitter is available at NY Mysteries. Our TikTok is at NY Mystery Machine. And our email is nymysterymachine at gmail.com. We appreciate all your feedback. Yeah. Be sure to follow, like, subscribe, all that stuff about all the show as well while you're there. Well, thank you for that, Adam. You're welcome. You know, Christina, mm. next week is a very special week. Is it? Next week is episode 100. <laughs> so um, we're really excited. That was episode 99. Next week, we have a very fun episode coming your way with some fun little surprises. Little antics. Crazy antics. And uh, we're so looking forward to celebrating it with you. So um, with that being said, I am Adam Ace. I'm Christina Marinelli. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts. Ooh.